electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the last fang standing. That is what one firm calls Apple today. After the mega cap meltdown claims yet another victim. We'll debate what it means to your money and whether the long-loved tech trade is on its last legs. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Rob Seachin, Steve Weiss, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east, and we have a pretty good gain going. We're highs of the day, 2% just about. For the Dow, which has been ripping of late, there's the S&P strong. NASDAQ is strong. Sounds funny to say NASDAQ is strong in the kind of week that we've had. The Dow is going for its fourth straight positive week and working on the best month since January of 1987. The NASDAQ is positive for this week. So, Jim Labenthal, I toss it to you. What, What do you think the bigger story is? The NASDAQ positive for the week despite the mega cap meltdown that we've seen in everything except for Apple or the Dow crushing it and having its best month since January of 1987. I think you know my answer, Scott, but not everybody on the show does. I think the Dow is the more intriguing uh, aspect of this week, and I think it is a harbinger of what is to come in the next few years. I think you're going through leadership change. This happens from time to time. It takes many years to happen. Uh, Tech-led, growth-led for much of the uh, 2010s decade, and now we're just seeing a a reversion, which happens about every 10 years. Now, that reversion to more value-oriented stocks is not just a reversion version to the mean. Look at what's going on in the earnings season this this at least this quarter, right? You're seeing tech and telecom have a meltdown, but you're seeing things like uh, discretionary General Motors do well. You're seeing airlines do well. And a real tell was yesterday Caterpillar. I mean, that was a that was a pretty solid beat from a solid bellwether industrial. Uh, there's just clear indication that it's not only price to earning multiple differences, but the actual businesses in the traditional value slash cyclical space are picking up at the same time that there's a slowing in tech. That slowing is not fatal. It just means leadership <coughs> is shifting uh, to the value-oriented stocks. Most interesting to you, Weiss, would be what uh, relative to that question? NASDAQ up for the week, despite what we've been talking about every day of this week, um, or the fact that you've got industrials up 5.5%, you've got value as the Russell 1K value up 3.5%, some of the more you know defensive utilities up 55 staples up 5, uh, 5%, real estate up 5 What What's more important to you on the direction uh, of this market between those two Metrics. I, I think it's uh, I think it's Nasdaq clearly because there's every reason in the world for Nasdaq to to go down and stay down, but yet the market just wants to go higher. So it's a rising tide. And if you took a look today, as the market started out, Nasdaq was a laggard, and boy did it catch up. So I, I think what it says really is that number one, the bond market is very important today. Yields are up, but yet the market's up. 
But number two, most importantly, is that there's an insatiable appetite to get long and to look for value. And you'll see some of them bounce. I'll disagree with with Jim a little bit, uh, which is that I'm not sure it's a turnover in leadership right now. I'm not sure that's sustainable because you've got these stocks, Microsoft and and uh, you take a look at Adobe, you take a look at uh, at Alphabet. Um, their multiples have come down dramatically, in some cases not cheap, in a few cases they are cheap, and they're trading with multiples on an EBITDA basis like some cyclicals or industrials. So, so I think we're, we're okay here until the next FOMC meeting, but just to re- recap, NASDAQ being up this week as much as it is, and over the last few weeks, it's a clear surprise to me. Shan, what do you think? I, I, I'm going to go with Steve here and, and talk a little bit about the NASDAQ. I think this is an important shift because I think as we were going into the pandemic, Scott, we talked about this concentration um, in the S&P 500. We talked about those top 10 names. We talked about technology really driving in this low growth, low interest rate environment coming into the pandemic, really driving uh, asset market gains. And, and I feel like we are in a bit of a more balanced scenario from a market perspective. And so any, uh, any opportunity that we see for the market to reset and start to value, I would say the more cyclical sides of, of the index, I think that is a positive overall because it starts to cut into some of this concentration risk that we've dealt with so significantly. And so many investors who are listening to us today are in indexes. And so if you think about the S&P 500 and the decline in the overall technology allocation, that actually allows for greater diversification. Uh, the other thing I want to point out, though, is that Jim made a great point, like what's happening in earnings? And I think that that's what we're seeing here is we're actually seeing delivery, um, broader delivery, better than expected delivery on earnings and revenues outside of the tech sector. But yet these results are still showing growth in technology as well. So, yes, is it slower? Does it point to the potential for some lower demand next year for tech, particularly on the enterprise side? Perhaps. But it's the surprise in terms of the resiliency of strong management teams, quality companies, and strong balance sheets, which I think is a great departure from the liquidity-fueled market that we've seen from a speculation perspective over the last couple of years. So, Steve, you know, Rob, I'll get you in a second, but I'm so intrigued, Weiss, by these moves that you've made um, today because they're counter to how you've been speaking lately about the market and your view of the kind of stocks that you've wanted to be in. You bought Alphabet. Tell me about that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I, I used to own it and, and I sold it uh, as it looks. I, I sold it well, but you know, I, I did a lot of work over the last number of days looking at historical EBITDA multiples, historic PE multiples. And what I've noticed is, sure, there's a slowing in the growth, but as the, as the stocks went up over time, the EBITDA continued to to grow, and that's that's a form of cash flow, of course. But guess what? EBITDA is still growing, not at the same clip, but it's growing at a very nice clip. Number one, number two, these multiples. I mean, Alphabet's come down to just barely above a market multiple, yet they've got a sustainable business. So I'm I'm ignoring the regulatory risk right now because it never seems to to matter except on the day a headline hits, and even then it doesn't. So I think Alphabet is very very cheap here. In terms of Microsoft, similarly, it's got a high recurring revenue base, so I have some concerns. That is, if the Fed's correct and, and 
causes lots of job cuts, you'll need less product. Yes, but I've still got cloud that's growing, you know, at on a huge business base, 35 to 40 percent. So I'm very comfortable with both those stocks now. I was hoping to get Microsoft a little lower. I did buy some. I had a small position coming to the earnings. And of course, that got whacked somewhat. But I really loaded up on both of those. See, so, Rob, it brings a good point up that goes along with the conversation we had at the very top of the show as to whether it's time to pivot away from some of these mega cap tech names that folks have lived in for so long or if the valuation resets that we've seen since the beginning of the year are too good in and of itself to ignore the kind of moves that Weiss looked at and says, "Okay, well, on January 1st, Alphabet was 25 and a half times. Uh, Now it's 19 on January 1st. Mm -hmm. Microsoft was 34 times. Now it's 24 meta summer looking at it and seeing it as attractive, was 23 and a half. Now it's 13. Apple was 31. Now it's 25. So, you know, we own a lot of those names, and I do think there is value that's been created in some of those names. But investors are going to have to hold through, we think, a kind of rocky period still. We don't think the reckoning and growth stocks is over due to still high valuations, despite adjusted down valuations, growth still trades at a 65% premium to value. That's down from 100% premium in 21. The 10-year average, though, is just 35%. And why should gross premium be lower today? And that's simply right now because of real rates. Gross outperformance over value from 2019 to 2021, Scott, was only half driven by better earnings. The other half was multiple expansion driven by the Fed's very easy policy and a plunge in real rates. The real rate is now a percent and a half. And the last time real interest rates were this high, growth traded at just a 5% premium to value. Again, we're significantly higher than that right now. So be careful trying to call the bottoms in tech and growth just on earnings. Uh, The risk is further multiple compression, given how tight the Fed is. And, you know, until they change their rhetoric, I don't think there's there's any chance that uh, this begins to be a real meaningful bottom. Yes, you can get technically oversold bounces, which I think we're in right now. Um, But given that we own some of these names, as you know, I think you want to hold and wait through as long-term investors because the earnings power of these companies is enormously high. You just got to be a little more selective. Yeah, you know, I just want to point out a framework for why I like value over growth right now. And I think there's three forces that I look at in the market. First, what's going on with prices that's favoring uh, value right now? What's what's going on with the economy? Now, we've been talking about the economy a lot, and I actually don't want to talk about that right now because we're in earnings season where you get results and you see what's actually going on on the ground. I want to bring up um, a small cap company that I've owned off and on, and people know this is called Greenbrier. Scott, this is about as cyclical a company as you're ever going to find. They bend metal into the form of rail cars, okay? The only thing more cyclical is bending it into the form of ships, which I can't touch. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's beyond cyclical. But they reported earnings yesterday. They blew it out of the water. This is rail cars, Scott. I mean, this is like supposedly goods are not being bought or shipped. Supposedly volumes are down. And yet railroads are buying new cars. 
They're leasing new cars. They're refurbishing new cars. There's something being told to us in these earnings report, whether it's Greenbrier, whether it's Caterpillar, which I already mentioned, uh, whether, whether it's any of the industrials, General Motors I already mentioned, there's something being told here about where the growth in profits is going to be. You, you do have, though, still, and Robert Hum on our, on our earnings desk sent this around, you still have a larger number of misses both on the top and the bottom lines than you have in, in recent history. So as we're suggesting that, oh, earnings aren't as bad as once feared, they're not exactly gangbusters either. You're seeing still 33% have missed on revenue. Yeah, right? I got to so agree sale, with you. Sales growth is slowing. Certain parts of certain, certain key parts of certain businesses are slowing. The guidance isn't great. What looks great today may not be so great tomorrow. That's the part of how you have to be careful. Yeah, I, it, absolutely. What you just said is true. But I think what it's saying, combining what you're saying with what I'm saying, this is a stock picker's market. This is pick your stocks, pick your sectors, pick your style. And I'm being clear about where, what I favor and why. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, our headliner today, Bill Baruch. He's the founder and president of Blue Line Capital. It's good to see you. Welcome to our program, bringing you in because you are, you say, in the process of rotating back to tech. As some are suggesting, maybe it's time to rotate out into other areas that are fueling a move like we said in the Dow this month. Absolutely. I, I think you have to look forward here and say that the Dow's already had a big rally. Some of these names you know, have really led the, out of this bottom. And I will call it an intermediate term bottom at minimum here. So right now I'm looking for names like a Micron and Adobe that have been beaten down and I think have tremendous upside, but also convexity to lower rates. If we see the rates roll over here, I want to own stocks that are going to respond to that. Yeah, I mean, you could, I, I, someone, some people are making the argument that, you know, the Caterpillars and some of these Dow stocks are way overbought. And that's why, you know, you look at that and they say the Dow's up, you know, best month since January uh, of, of 87. But it does seem as though there are a lot of people ready to rotate out of mega cap tech and find opportunity elsewhere. And I think you're right. You know, and I don't want to be with the herd. And I think that's where you're going to make your, your difference. Where, where Jim just said, you have to be a stock picker's market. Now, I'm not saying you need to be all in on big tech. I mean, we have very good weightings and banks, industrials, and uh, we're very overweight in energy. But right now, we're monetizing, taking some chips off the table and things like healthcare. And I want to look at it and where I can see value relative to where the market's been. I also think that, we, like I said, with rates potentially rolling over a bit, you could see the convexity in names like a Micron or Adobe or Salesforce, even a PayPal. You're also seeing relative strength in some of these very beaten down names like an Adobe and a PayPal. So I think those are the places that you want to look to look for this next rotation higher. But when the, when the tech market kind of comes out of this over the next three months, which I think we'll find it higher, it's the matter can value take us to the next level from there. I'll let you respond to yeah. that. Uh, uh, Bill, great, great to be speaking with you. And uh, obviously you and I are on the other side of this. But uh, what I'm curious about is what's your time frame? I love a good bottom feeding. I love it. I th if you know anything about me, you know that. Um, but what's your time frame? Is this more of a trade where you're saying, hey, look, if I buy Meta or Amazon here, I wait a month, I pop out of it? Or are you saying this is for the next few years, tech's what's going to lead? It's a great question. And I don't buy any names that I wouldn't be willing to own for the next three to five years. But for what I'm talking about here is, is there is a trade over the next one to three months and taking us into the first quarter. I think you're going to see, as we've already begun to see in some of the probabilities, the Fed rate hikes, 
if they start to cool this and you see the rates come in a bit, uh, again, I want to own something that's going to have convexity and respond to lower rates. And I think, I think again, for the next one to three months at minimum, it's going to be tech that leads us out of this bottom area. So you, you think this, this move in the market uh, has more legs to it then? I do. I, I really do. I think there's been a lot excessive negativity. I think we're heading into a very seasonally bullish time of year. And there's some tra- pretty tremendous uh, technical patterns building. I, I even look at the low here in the NASDAQ today at inverse head and shoulders and that right shoulder. So some of this stuff can catch people off sides with that excessive negativity. But what I'm really looking for here is, is what's going to encourage people to buy. We, as we head into next week and the Fed meeting, we there is some expectations mounting for, for the Fed expectations to sort of cool. Now, you also look back at these earnings. Was big tech the last chip to fall here? Because companies like a Netflix and a, even a Shopify yesterday that arguably led the way down have started to show signs of coming out of this sort of their own internal earnings recessions. So I think there's some positive things to take from what we've seen here in the last couple of weeks. And then you get some leadership from a name like Apple. And, and then quickly people forget about what's going on in some of the other big tech. But at the same time, you have an Amazon that's really set the, a bar lower for the coming months and coming quarters. A Microsoft is also that set the bar lower for the coming quarters. And I think that's a buying opportunity if we start to get this bottoming out uh, for a number of macro reasons. I mean, see, there are others who say you look at what happened this week with the mega caps and say this is the, the moment. Time stamp it because this is the start of the wave of earnings coming, expectations coming in. And this is just the beginning. If it's happening for them, can only imagine what's going to happen for the others. Well, the quicker the repricing, I think the, the market works through it much better. So if you have this, ex- these expectations brought down pretty significantly, like at Amazon yesterday, then we work through it more quickly. But the names like a Netflix and a PayPal that have already led the way down, I think that you're going to see better numbers from them. I mean, PayPal still comes to report tomorrow, I mean, next week. So I think there's still a lot to work through. I mean, there's still a lot of reporting to come. But I think from what we've begun to see from names like a Netflix, a Pinterest, uh, a Shopify, some of the ones, and I, I'm not just sitting there buying buying the trash stock, so to speak, but I, I think if you look at what's led to the downside, they've already started to turn on sentiment. And then the, the uh, last chip to fall here could be the big tech. And that's where we get potentially a macro tailwind. So I, it's, I think it's a really great setup. You know, it was, it, also, when you layer that with some of the seasonality heading to after the midterms. All right. Well, we appreciate having you on today. We'll talk to you soon. Bill Baruch joining us here. Um, I want to get to Apple, guys, before we go to the break. As, as some call it, like Wedbush today, uh, the rock of Gibraltar, Evercore ISI calls it the last fang standing. It is, you know, obviously bucking the trend in a big way. So, you know, Jim, I'll, let, I'll give you the first crack at this. Um, everybody that we've been speaking with on the show, more or less, feels like they've been more down on Apple than they've been in years, including you. Um, whether you're the size of the positions have come in over the last many months. And I wonder if this is a signal that this is the one that you can bank on more than any of the others for not only now, but in the months to come. Yeah, Scott, I wonder the same thing. I mean, to start with, um, what Tim Cook did to Facebook is rather extraordinary. Uh, you know, with the change in the iOS model that made it very hard to uh, uh, track ads and, and target them uh, for Facebook. I mean, that is really Tim Cook uh, at the top of the mountain knocking anybody down who dares uh, challenge him. Um, and, and that's obviously good if you think that Apple is going to be the, the lone man standing. The one thing that I'm having a hard time working out today is that Amazon, I know we'll 
we'll get to it. But Amazon obviously predicted kind of dire fourth quarter uh, holiday uh, sales estimates. And I'm not sure how that jibes with, you know, the iPhone 14 and upgrades and everything that you really expect Apple to make a lot of money in this coming fourth quarter. Um, You know, right now, and I still own a position in Apple, so I'm not going to talk it down, but I do have to acknowledge that that disconnect has to be resolved some way. I think Apple's punching above its weight today. Shan, are you surprised that Apple is up as much as it is today? You, You hold the stock. I am surprised. Um, you know, I thought we'd get a, a little bit of a flat uh, result after these earnings. Uh, you know, a couple of things that I think are important out of this release. We talk a lot about China production issues and the overhang. Um, and you saw a sharp snapback in Mac sales this quarter. And that was after two quarters of really challenging supply chain issues for for um, Apple. And so does that speak to where they're saying, listen, this isn't a, a demand problem. It's a supply problem. Do we see a similar snapback for for handsets. More importantly, the brand recognition and the brand importance, half of the new Mac buyers um, that came into Macs this quarter were first time Mac buyers. So that to me says that there is a sustainability in terms of brand reach that continues to fuel perhaps the premium for this stock. But most importantly, you know, China is going to be the inflection point for Apple. And if we can see a a similar improvement or acceleration of, 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 of sales, for iPhones over the next couple of quarters, like we did with Macs this quarter, Scott, that that really might change the thesis in the next couple of months. What do, what do you do though with it, Amazon, which was the favorite name of yours in the entire space, and now it's getting getting clobbered? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a, a disappointment. I mean, I think there's it's it's certainly getting clobbered in terms of um, their guidance for you know, softer sales from a consumer perspective in the fourth quarter. Um, but we also saw a little bit of a slowdown in AWS, and and that's critical for Amazon because you need to see operational improvements and improvement in margin. And how you improve margin is not just from pausing hiring or delaying the reopening of where uh, the opening of new warehouses. It's driving AWS uh, revenue. And so the mix can't be fixed just by cost improvements alone on the com- on the consumer side of this business, Scott. We have to maintain um, really strong bookings for AWS. And we see that. Um, backlog was up 57% year over year. Is that going to come through, though, especially against the backdrop of what we heard from, from Microsoft in terms of slower demand perhaps next year? That's going to be the critical piece for Amazon uh, investors. You have to grow a- AWS because all of the cost improvement can't just come on the consumer side. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we do have more moves being made by the investment committee. Steve Weiss buying yet another stock we'll tell you about. Plus, Chevron hitting all-time highs on the back of its earnings. Exxon reporting back-to-back record profits. So how high can the red-hot energy trade go from here? We'll debate that next. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Let's talk about these other moves we have from the committee today. Rob Seachin, you bought Cadence Design Systems, CDNS. Uh, you bought it about eight days ago or so, uh, and you're updating us uh, now with that. Why? Uh, defensive play on the semi-value chain. Uh, they provide chip design software and consulting services aimed at enhancing uh, production efficiency. Um, it's an area that's uh, more insulated to slowing CapEx. And as companies are increasingly turning towards production enhancements, uh, production and more complex, efficient next-gen chips, this is a great place to be. Arguably, it's a little, little more expensive than others, but really, uh, really defensible, giving strong, defensible, giving uh, strong free cash flow margins and operating margins. You're fairly defensive on the market, um, but you sold P&G suggesting that you're not a fan of staples. So square those thoughts. Yeah, well, price matters, right? And, and staples is, is a sector that's relatively inexpensive, defensive. And we sold P&G for that reason, based on valuation, slowing top line growth and weaker uh, uh, free cash flow generation. Uh, most of its sales are in international markets, and we expect the stronger U.S. dollar and rising shipping costs to weigh on profitability. Um, you know, and also certain uh, consumers are likely shifting their habits to lower priced items. The other thing that, you know, we talked about last time when we sold Scott was, uh, was Meta. Um, and that was on the same day that we did all this at about 135 due to deteriorating free cash flow and no willingness uh, by management to prioritize mm -hmm. spend. Um, it's really a show me the money story and uh, all their cash. It, it, it was 10 billion kind of a year ago and now it's gone. Yep. All so, right. I got you. Let, let me um, I'm going to get to you a second, Weiss. I just want to update the market because we're uh, pushing a 700 point gain uh, for the Dow. We're right on the cusp of that. Good for about 692. It's the highs of the session, better than 2 percent on what is a build on the best month for the Dow since January of 1987. It's been up, what, almost 14% for the month uh, thus far. Pretty amazing move there. Uh, the NASDAQ, given everything that happened this week, to be up 2% today, uh, recapturing 11,000, and S&P trying to take back 3,900 as well. You got the 10-year note yield sitting right at 4%. So just some things to keep an eye on. Weiss, another curious move from you is Home Depot, which you bought more of. You seem to want more exposure overall to the market after running in the opposite direction for many, many months. Yeah, that, that's true. And uh, I'm going to run in that direction again. I do think that earnings come down to about 200 S&P earnings, that is. And, and that it's not surprising to see the tech stocks suffer first. 
because they're the tip of the spear. Uh, whereas more of the cyclical names, and contrary to what Jim stated said a while ago, we're not on the beginning of a new economic expansion. We're at the end of it, and it's going lower. However, you know, I don't want to keep my head in the sand, and I always try to listen in some part what the market's telling me, and what the market's telling me in the absence of news from the Fed, and I'm not one who believes, like our prior guest, Fed's going to come out and say, hey, no mas." We're cutting rates now. I think that's that's ludicrous or even pausing. I think that's equally ludicrous. So the economy, it takes a while for those high rates to filter through. In the interim, there's so much cash on the sidelines, as there has been for a while. And the market's got this this short term pop upward. So I'm not going to stay in cash and continue missing the upside. I've caught some of it, but I'm still way under invested. Mm -hmm. But where I see tactical opportunities like in a Home Depot, which, again, that valuations come down measurably. You know what hasn't what hasn't come down measurably is Amazon. That valuations increased actually with a loss again. And in terms of Meta, while that looks cheap, their business model is completely upside down. So I'm being selective. Home Depot with people not selling their homes. When you put your home in the market or think you're going to put your home in the market, yeah, you do something to spruce up. But that's a coat of paint. When you know you're staying there for a while, then you got to fix other things and you want to change. You I hear you, but see, the, the next week looms large, right? I mean, there are some suggesting like Ron and Sana um, that you could get uh, what, what he coins as from peak to pivot, right? This idea that, okay, we, we've definitely hit peak rate hikes and th they don't have to explicitly really say anything other than give you the idea that you're going to get 75 next Wednesday, I guess it is. And yeah. then you may get 50 next time. And then that could very well be it for a while. Is that in and of itself good enough to keep the rally moving higher? I believe it is actually any uh, any pullback and what what the most most bearish uh, situation was, which was 75, 75, and then some more, I believe will keep it coming. And then we'll have fourth quarter earnings, but not until January. And that's when the market will take the hit again. Yep. Uh, when right. they start seeing those come down. Okay. Hey, Scott, could I comment no, on what no, Steve said for you a can't. second? You actually, you can't uh, because I need to take a break. And I'm going to do that right. right now. When we come back, we'll talk about energy continuing to rip. We have our calls of the day. Rob Seachin, we'll get to him too, I promise him. When we come back, Dow's up nearly 700. Back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Flash floods and landslides set off by torrential rains, killing at least 42 people in southern Philippines. 16 others are missing with other residents trapped on rooftops waiting for rescue. The unusually intense rains were triggered by a tropical storm there. Flooding is beginning to recede, allowing rescue teams to go out and search for survivors. 
Residents of a Miami Beach building being forced to evacuate after officials determined the structure is unsafe and gave orders to leave. The 14-story Port Royal building sits in the same street where a condominium collapsed, killing nearly 100 people last June. A report from the building's structural engineer prompting the evacuation notice as the building was in the process of undergoing a 50-year recertification. Tom Brady and Giselle finalizing their divorce after 13 years of marriage. Brady initially retired from the NFL in February, only to later reverse the decision. In a previous interview, the Brazilian fashion model expressing concern over Brady's return to the field and wanting him to be more present with his family. I was rooting for them. Scott, All right, Seema, thank you. That's Seema Modi with the news for us. All right, energy giants Exxon and Chevron hitting new record highs today after strong results. Jim Labenthal, you own Exxon. Yeah, and I think the question that looms large here is whether this is a trade, something short-term, or something sustainable. Uh, I'm clearly in the latter camp. Uh, globally, there is a supply-demand imbalance, and we've papered it over with strategic petroleum reserve releases that simply can't go on for very much longer. And when they stop, that problem is going to loom large. Uh, heaven help us, frankly, uh, if China uh, abandons the COVID zero policy and their demand picks up. I mean, what we're really seeing here is there's two years of, of a supply Supply-demand imbalance that's going to favor ExxonMobil and the energy patch. And what we should be rooting for as a globe is that the green transition has some legs uh, by the end of those two years to really take the pressure off. Because this is not a good situation for the globe, even though it's good for these companies. You don't think these are ripe for some profit-taking like opportunities? I don't mean, you feel in, like we had it earlier this year? Yeah, I know. We had it, and then the money went back in, and they got you know, pushed still, up again. Still both darn cheap. Exxon and Chevron are both up more than 23% over the last month alone. Yeah, That's, only I, why. Listen, That's I, the only reason why I asked the question. I see your point. I see your point. You know my point, which is that on any long-term chart, uh, these things are just recovering back to where they were. Uh, on a valuation basis that seems sustainable, whether using earnings multiple or dividend uh, uh, levels, uh, these seem like good buys here. Shan, you hope they dip, don't you? Uh, the Exxons and the Chevrons, because they're among the energy names and kind of energy companies that you don't own. You've got EOG and Valero, but not the big, big integrateds. Yeah, we don't own the big integrated. And I actually don't disagree with at all with Jim about sort of the supply challenges over the next couple of years. Um, you know, I think going into this period over the next several months, just from a seasonal perspective, you are going to see some strength in, in oil um, in oil and gas stocks. And I think that coming out of the first quarter, if there starts to be evidence that we could see a modest uh, deceleration recession in the second half of 2023, that might afford you an opportunity um, to add to these stocks. And, and maybe you already had it, right, when we, when we dip below $80 a barrel. Um, but I think you probably get another shot at this. And, and if you believe that there is this longer-term supply-demand mismatch over the next couple of years, integrated, I think, would be a great way to play it. To Jim's point, too, uh, they do have a exposure to the clean transition as well. And the importance of the sustainability of our energy infrastructure is going to become more in focus. So, Rob, is your favorite sector coming into 2022 still your favorite sector coming out of 2022? No, I think healthcare probably w would take it over, but it's still one of our two favorite sectors, Scott. Um, 
you know, it's cheap relative to the market. The company or companies are showing capital discipline, not chasing the up cycle with big CapEx and favoring return to shareholders. Yes, the sector has been on a great run in recent weeks, so it could pause, obviously, but sentiment is still tepid on energy. From April to early October, there were outflows from energy ETFs, meaning positioning is still light and investors clearly do not think that the string of strong earnings will last. We disagree with that and are going to ride out any near-term weakness to maintain exposure to an asset class that is still under-owned and has provided solid hedge against geopolitical geopolit events mm -hmm. as well as inflation. So okay. it's a great place to be, we think, still. We take a quick break. We come back. We do our call of the day. Biotech stocks tracking for their best month in two years. The committee's buying. That trade is coming up next. we got two upgrades today for one big player in that group. We'll debate it in our calls of the day when we come back. We're showing you the wall because forget 1987. The Dow is now on pace for its best month since January of 1976, pushing a near 700-point game. We've been sitting there for a little bit now. That's better than 2% as we continue to follow this Friday rally on Wall Street. Shares of Gilead are surging today. That stock is hitting a 52-week high of its own. Truist upgrading it today to a buy. Piper says it's overweight. Those calls come as biotech is pacing for its fifth straight positive week. Rob Seachin, you actually own Gilead. Yeah, what an earnings report. Um, and they increased full-year guidance. Their core HIV franchise continues to drive both the top and bottom line results. And then longer term, they continue to expand into oncology treatments, which gives us confidence in the strength of the pipeline and the top line momentum. This, this was a great one, and we've been in it for a bit. Shan, uh, you as well. You're an AbbVie, not Gilead, um, as a number of people are, as that company reports its earnings today. Yeah, we um, we trimmed this stock earlier this year, but that was just purely because it had outperformed, um, you know, other parts of the sector and other parts of our portfolio. Um, we really like the healthcare sector. We think that it combines not only that it's sort of traditional defensive nature, but also, you know, as as with companies like Gilead and AbbVie, opportunities for innovation, disruption, and growth. Frankly, that have a secular tailwind um, that we think is going to persist for the next four or five years. It's really spotlighted this mRNA technology. These enhancements have really spotlighted how much more can be done in terms of therapeutics. Um, and so I, I think that this is a space that people should be looking for as both a growth and perhaps value trade, depending on where you're playing in the sector. Why is she going to buy the IBB today or did you already? Oh, Patty Martello, our crackjack producer, actually talked me into it. I was in it earlier. You know, the interesting thing about the IBB is it's never had two down years in a row, uh, except for this year on top of last year. So as the market looks like it wants to turn, keeping low equity exposure, I'm looking for beta, that's giving it to me. And of course, I had to add some Moderna after, after winnowing down the position on the Merck news, which was, I think, last week, because Merck did see the data in terms of their partnership, put in another $250 million. And as Shannon properly, properly uh, mentions, mRNA is changing the industry. So they've got a quarter coming up next week on November 3rd. I'm not sure how it turns out because there's been a, a lower uptake in terms of the fourth booster. But still, their pipeline is just incredible. And I'd also, as you recall, had bought Merck and Pfizer. So healthcare is one of my favorite groups here because it's defensive uh, because 
Look at how they're producing these companies. I regret not buying Stryker when I wanted to, and I think I missed that for now. I'd like for it to come back down. In United Health or Intuitive Surgical, if they ever retreat, then uh, I'll take a fresh look at those as well. All right. Wow, Mr. Optimism already buying. Uh, That's buying, me. Buying a number of things. Hey, Count I should Dra- be wearing a green suit, Scott. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure. Count, so it's go, Count go, Dracula go. shows his friendly side every now and then, I suppose. <laughs> it's all right. Farmer Jim, you have AbbVie and Bristol Myers. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to get past Steve uh, his oozing contempt for the rally, but that's okay. Love him. We know contempt. we love him. I don't uh, know. He sounds like he's trying uh, to get on board with it. With with just a <laughs> just a healthy <laughs> dose of contempt. Love him. Anyway, uh, yeah. No, look, the the line is blurred between biotech and pharma. I look at them together, and what I see here is the the developed world, the demographics within that demand that we're going to have more and more drugs. Uh, so I like both sectors. AbbVie, Bristol Myers. Well, I think these are solidly valued, by the way. You look at their multiples, you look at their dividends. This is a good place to get not only uh, return in terms of income, but also capital appreciation. All right. So we mentioned we got a nice uh, move on, on Wall Street here on, on this Friday. Mike Santoli is going to join us for his midday word uh, when we come back. Trying to get back to that 700-point gain for the Dow. Best since the 70s. Best month since January. What did I say? 71? Something like that. 76. 1976. Back after this. All right, we're back, and we are hovering at session highs. Dow on pace now for its best month, wow, since January of 76. Uh, Just put this week into perspective, given all that we've gotten, Mike, and somehow where we are still today. Uh, Best October since 76 is what we're looking at, not the... Not the best month, I don't think. Um, but no matter what, uh, obviously what we're looking at is uh, a market that refused, and it was pointing this out at the time, it really refused to succumb to a lot of the, what was being piled on top of it back in early October, which was uh, obviously another really adverse inflation report. Uh, the fact that we had talk at Credit Suisse was going to fail, uh, the U.K., tumult, and of course, yields in this disorderly surge that they were having on on the bond side of things. Uh, A lot of that's eased up. The earnings season, I wouldn't call it impressive, but I would say it's more normal than not. 70% of companies beating lowered expectations. Not a lot of incremental stuff to worry about, except in the big names that made a lot of noise with their uh, declines on poor earnings. And that's where, like in Alphabet, like in Microsoft, where you still had too much of a predictability premium in there. Now, when those stocks come down, and now they're bouncing today, that's a certain source of risk coming down, coming out of the market, right? The risk that people are overpaying for the perception of stability in areas that can't deliver it. So I think it leaves us in a, a place where that we built up a cushion from the lows. Uh, it's relatively impressive what we've been able to do in October. Uh, that in itself, though, uh, it doesn't mean that the, that the Fed's not going to want to knock down any further risk rally. It doesn't mean that the macro is clearly positive. It's just not as bad as it needed to be for this market to go down more. Relatively impressive. We're up like 14 percent on the Dow. You're a tough guy to please. I'll see you in overtime a few hours yes, from now. <laughs> All right. That's Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange. If you thought this week was a big one for earnings, next week is actually the busiest of all. We'll get you ahead of that next. All right. There it is, plus 700 for the Dow. I should let all of you know, too, Weiss had to bounce. Dracula had to get to a meeting, right? So in case you didn't see him. In a cave? Didn't want you to think. He just disappeared. <laughs> just, like, just like that. Dracula has meetings, too. Maybe with Frankenstein, but we'll see. Uh, all right. There it is. Big next week. Biggest week yet. Uh, Jimmy, NXP, Qualcomm, boy, Paramount, uh, CBS, yeah. Transocean. Talk to me about the chips, Qualcomm and NXP. 
Yeah, um, they should do. I mean, NXP should do really well. I mean, we see what's going on with automotive production. I think the one that I'm really wondering about is Qualcomm, because in a moment like this, you see the price action going one way and you see what you think are the fundamentals going a completely different way. That has to be resolved. And the resolution has to come with hearing how things are going. I mean, if I mean, look, if you look at Apple, uh, I think things are going pretty well. Again, that's following price. I, I think Qualcomm is ridiculously undervalued, just to summarize. All right. Shan, AMD. Yeah, so we're just looking for a, a decent report this quarter. Um, you know, this is a long-term play for us, Scott. We added this name this year, really on share gains from, from Intel. So we continue to think that they might have an overhang in terms of potential questions about oversupply and, and, and uh, overordering. Um, but we view this as a next couple of year play on bringing share, continuing to increase share at, at the uh, at the expense of, it, of Intel. What's, what's the one next week you're, you're most interested in hearing from, right? You've got AMD, as we um, just showed on the screen, Estee yeah. Lauder, Intercontinental Exchange, Mondelez. What do you think? Estee Lauder, actually, uh, because one of the things that we we don't have a lot of discretionary exposure, Scott, um, and this is a prestige brand that we think has the opportunity to continue uh, to grow its market share and margin over time, even though it is valued at, you know, a pretty pricey P.E. Um, the problem here is, is that they really are relying on China um, and the um, the COVID restrictions have been an overhang, so getting some perspective on how much they continue to see that weighing on their business next year will be important. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, 4 o'clock Eastern today, overtime. Rick Heitzman, after the kind of week we've had in tech, he'll get us set up on what he thinks lies ahead for that critical trade. Cameron Dawson, A.J. Oden with us. We've got a top financial advisor as well, so we'll look ahead to the busiest week of earnings yet, the Fed meeting, job support, and what all of it means to your money. So I'll see you in a few hours. Shannon, final trade. I'm going to go with Amazon. Um, they're continuing to work through pandemic distortions, too much labor, overcapacity to meet demand on the consumer side. Um, but between advertising, AWS, and, um, and just the opportunity to continue to grow their footprint, we think this is um, a great uh, second half 2023 story. Just as a point, Scott, advertising for Amazon up 25% year over year. A little different story from some of the other players. All right, $101. It's a loss of 9%, we'll call it. Uh, Seach, what do you got? Healthcare is going to have a big week next week. It's our favorite sector. Regeneron's our favorite stock or one of the favorite stocks in that sector. We're going to look to see if it can, can continue the momentum that has it up 18% year to day. And pay attention to Cameron Dawson on overtime today. All right. Thanks for that. Steve Weiss, by the way, chose Alphabet for you. It's up 3% uh, before he had to get out of here for a meeting. Farmer Jim? Uh, Boeing, you can follow price or you can follow what the company is doing. If you sold on Wednesday on price, that was the wrong thing. And there's an investor meeting coming up on uh, Tuesday. All right. Good weekend, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.